Greetings and welcome. My name is Don Alexander. I'm President and Managing Director of Gene Coda Executive and Professional Search. We connect outstanding firms in the life sciences sector with executives who help bring game-changing products to the market. I'm pleased to be joined here today with Barry Bazogany, an advisory board member of our firm. Barry is a professional board director and former C-suite executive for both public and private pharmaceutical life sciences, medtech, and contract research organizations. Barry is currently serving as director on select advisory and statutory boards to share his wealth of leadership experiences, extensive domain knowledge, and lessons learned as an accomplished operations and legal executive and entrepreneur. Welcome, Barry. Thank you, it's great to be here. Thanks, Barry. In this video series, Barry and I will be discussing the functions of corporate and advisory boards, including the legal and practical differences and pros and cons of each, why consider a board of directors or advisory board, and when is the right time, how to form a board and criteria for selecting board members, and how to compensate board members of the board of directors or advisory board. In today's discussion, we'll learn about how to compensate a board of directors and advisory board members. Barry, what can you give us regarding an overview regarding the compensation of a board of directors or advisory board? Sure. Um, overview is a good word because it can certainly, it can certainly vary. Um, Compensation packages can vary with the type of company we're speaking of, the life cycle of that company. Obviously, companies as they move along the maturation process and move into profitability and so forth, the compensation of boards can vary along with the uh, revenue model for the company itself. But um, in terms of making sure as a board that you are um, using good good practices and 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 sort of fit in with the rest of the the world out there it's always good to continually benchmark what your compensation package is once it's developed to continue to look at that that's why for example some many companies have compensation committees who who are charged with looking at that but typically in terms of what um, generally is used it's um, the comp package is generally made up of cash and or equity uh, and that can vary, certainly. In some cases, certainly, as I say, both cash and equity. Um, and um, some other companies, especially those who are uh, maybe public companies uh, or larger in size, will offer other benefits besides cash and equity, perhaps uh, a pension option and, and, and so forth. Um, but we ought to speak primarily, I think, of cash and equity, particularly since there's been a trend, I think, an evolving trend over the last decade or two uh, to moving strictly on the, uh, to cash and equity on the part of many companies. In part, that was generated from a report, a Blue Ribbon commissioned report commissioned by the uh, NACD, uh, National Association of Corporate Directors, which is a national organization for professional director development, uh, which I'm a member of, in fact, sit on the local chapter board. And um, they came out with a report in 1997, I wanna say, that really seemed to strike a chord uh, over time because they had recommended that, that cash plus equity 
uh, is, is probably a, a good way to go. And in fact, they went on to say that the equity piece should be at least 50% of the total value of the comp package. So those were recommendations uh, that, um, again, are, have made an impression over the years, apparently, because they're citing a trend to just that compensation packages are made up of, of cash and equity. They're doing away, for example, with some of the other perks or benefits like a pension option. Um, those seem to be uh, to be going away. So again, it's, it's, it's a matter of benchmarking what the best practices are for your company. Uh, and we'll talk about some sources you can go to to, uh, to help you with that benchmarking effort. But if we move over to the advisory board side, uh, as you're forming an advisory board, obviously one of the early questions you have is, well, do we compensate or do we not compensate our advisors? And there's no standard scheme, as you might suspect, for that either. Um, it can vary and depend greatly on the type of company and so forth. So there again, you really have to benchmark. Uh, and if you are forming newly, a newly formed uh, advisory board, um, then you could, you could Google it. You could just you could go on Google and say, how do I compensate a, a board of directors or an advisory board? There's a lot of information out there, articles and uh, um, data that, that will help you benchmark what's appropriate for your company and its, its advisors in your part of the country and in your industry and so forth. Um, now you should always cover expenses regardless of the other comp uh, options. Uh, advisors you know, expect to have any expenses they incur covered, whether it's, you know, uh, you take them out to lunch and you, you, you cover that or whether it's you've asked them to travel um, and so forth. Um, and uh, there are a lot of companies out there that don't offer any compensation for their advisors. I've been on some of those and uh, that's okay. In fact, I like to say free is good. Um, sometimes uh, people coming on and are willing to help the company and share their expertise are happy to do so without compensation. Um, so that's, that is something to consider. Now, if you are compensating, then typically, again, we're looking at stock or stock options for advisory board folks. Um, I prefer options because stock has its tax complications. Um, and so one way to uh, consider, okay, how many shares uh, of, of options should we consider you can use a formulaic approach and say, well, if my executive team, this is if this is if you're the CEO or the chairman of the board who's forming this this advisor group, if my executive team is making 10 to 20 percent, let's say, of the uh, total available available uh, outstanding shares, fully diluted uh, as as equity, then maybe my board of advisors should be making somewhere in the one to two percent range. I mean, that's that's one way to to look at it sort of in a formulaic way. Um, and again, but you can do your own homework and do your own benchmarking to see what else uh, looks to be in practice out there and, and, and making sense for your particular company. And again, there are, there are companies out there that pay uh, advisors cash uh, and only cash. So that's why I say it varies. Now, if you're, in terms of type of company, if you're a company that generates, generates cash and that's that's your business a cash generating business versus for example uh, a capital appreciation play you probably want to compensate your advisors in cash um, okay so that's one example of how the type of company can uh, can affect your decision um, now I've, I've said in previous videos that we should also for our advisors have an advisor agreement 
for each of the each of the members and um, you would want in, in there to have a fixed term maybe two to three years um, and renewable at the end of that term make sure you have a vesting schedule for those options if that's what you're offering uh, an accelerated vesting clause in case there is an M&A down the road before those options fully vest. So those are kinds of typical provisions you would put in an agreement that that speak to uh, that speak to compensation. Now I would I would also say though that even if there is no compensation for advisors, there is there is a lot of intangible value uh, to be to be had as as an advisor. Um, it certainly can expand your network uh, professionally. It can uh, give you additional board experience as you move on into uh, other boards, perhaps in the future. <clears throat> and there are many people sort of like me who <clears throat> pardon, enjoy just being mentors and sharing their, their knowledge uh, with companies of interest. And so they're happy to be uh, helping out uh, without giving consideration to uh, being compensated. I mentioned before that I had in a startup company that I was with, a drug development startup, we had uh, medical advisors who were clinic clinicians helping us for a couple of years without compensation and they were terrific uh, helping us with clinical design. I think by about year three we started to offer them options but uh, they never asked and that, that wasn't why they were there. They believed in what we were doing and were glad to share their expertise. So. I think if, those, if that's helpful, that's kind of uh, top top line uh, uh, focus. That's fantastic, Barry. And uh, certainly many of the points that you just made are very salient to uh, membership on the board of directors for a nonprofit, which doesn't yeah. typically offer, you know, any type of cash or equity uh, remuneration. Um, it's my understanding. So uh, some of those other attributes uh, certainly hold true or ring true in that type of circumstance. So you've been talking a bit about benchmarking so far here, and certainly Google, you know, is a resource, but are there additional resources, or if so, what might be available to help uh, companies determine uh, what compensation might be? No, there really are. There, there, there are a lot these days, uh, particularly because of the internet. I mean, you really can, um, just by Googling, how do I compensate a board and come up with more information than you care to read, perhaps, but a lot of it is, is very good put out by, you know, credible sources. Uh, but beyond that, there are other organizations out there besides the NACD uh, that are, are there to, to offer their help. There are certainly compensation consulting groups that if you uh, have the budget for it, it can be extremely helpful in benchmarking your compensation uh, program. And they're, they're good to tap into, by the way, uh, over the years, again, as, as you make sure uh, some years out that you are continually uh, benchmarked to uh, the appropriate level of compensation for your, for your firm, your company. Um, and and it, I would say too, though, that the, uh, as I mentioned before, the trends have been changing and evolving a bit in terms of, of compensation. There's a lot more scrutiny these days, if you will, on, on board compensation. So it's all the more reason to be uh, diligent in your, um, your benchmarking and doing it, you know, occasionally, uh, because you have, over the years, you've had laws come into play, Sarbanes-Oxley and Dodd-Frank, but and as a result of some of that, there's a lot more shareholder activism out there. So the whole subject of, of compensation for boards of directors, at least, is is uh, should stay on the uh, front page of your list of to-dos to stay stay up on, so to speak. Um, as far as um, NACD, I would just wanted to mention that 
that is a good organization for directors and and um, aspiring directors. And so if you go to NACD, uh, what is it? NACDonline.org, you can read about them. And there are other there are a few other organizations out there that are somewhat similar to them, but a very good resource for the kinds of things we're talking about now. If you become a member, uh, but again, you can you can pay for some very reputable firms out there that are comp consultants and uh, do your own homework online. Excellent, excellent. And so we, when we think about boards in particular, we t uh, think about different committees or committee service. And I guess the question is, we think about audit uh, committee, governance committee, whatnot. Does the board uh, member compensation, I guess, differ within the, the structure of the, of the committee? Yeah, that's a good question because uh, it, it certainly can vary and, and differ uh, from simply the the board compensation uh, coming in as a board member because um, committee members for, for boards of directors are, are an, important, an important function, um, especially if you're a public company and you're governed by you know, federal and state laws and regulations uh, with respect to how you, how you govern your organization. So those board members who might join, for example, a, an audit committee or a finance committee, um, are spending additional time after all. And those, those committee accountabilities and responsibilities are becoming more and more important in today's regulated environment. Um, again, with the, sh the shareholder activism as well. Excuse me, so um, it's, it's uh, in a, an important piece. And so uh, typically there will be additional compensation uh, maybe for the chairman of those, of those committees um, because again of the additional time invested uh, that it that requires. So on the other hand, I have, again, this goes back to NACD in a 2019 um, article that, that, that was written about uh, trends in compensation more recently. And they're, they're making the point that boards seem to be, of late, seem to be streamlining and simplifying their compensation packages. So um, they are so the use of committee compensation, for example, is, is kind of on the downtrend. Um, rather, the compensation is all wrapped into, you know, the overall uh, package as opposed to additional um, comp for, for board serve, I'm sorry, for committee service. So that's kind of a trend that I'm, that I'm reading about. And, and again, um, the trend is moving away from any other benefits besides cash uh, and options or stock. So, um, so to answer the question simply, yes, uh, the, uh, the comp can, can differ with board service and, uh, and committee service. Uh, and uh, you have to be, again, particularly these days, I think the board, the committee service is, is, is getting more complicated and requiring more time. So one way or the other, whether it's some sort of upfront in your comp package or whether it's a separate, a separate uh, comp piece as, as a chair of a, of a committee, uh, it's important to um, to have that in place. That's fantastic. Now we know in for-profit companies that you know equity is often part of the uh, package offering, I suppose. But I guess the question uh, that comes to mind is: Should board members also be shareholders? Well, in one way, that's that the question could be could be put: Does a does a bear sleep in the woods? Because um, the answer is, is a ringing yes. Uh, 
they should be because they will be if they are major investors, either they or a representative of their, of them or their firm, be they venture capital, private equity, whatever they are. If they are um, a significant investor, then yes, they're, they're going to want representation on the board. After all, they have a vested interest in the investment they make, and uh, they want to protect that along with that of the other shareholders uh, in that company. So the good news is not only, though, um, are they investors for your company, but if they are sophisticated investors who come in, you want them on your board or a representative on your board because they bring good governance. These are investors who know all about the, the again, federal and state regulations that, that apply and give them accountability as fiduciaries, right? So, so it's, it's a good idea to have them on your board for that reason alone. And uh, I, had, I, I did see a couple of surveys um, about early stage companies because so far I've been really talking about boards of directors but early stage companies um, um, in, in, that, in that environment, I read that for uh, one survey says that early stage companies with investor directors, because that's what we're talking about here is investor directors, those companies seem to perform better. And the survey said they tend to raise more money than otherwise. They tend to raise money from professional venture investors. Uh, they're more likely to recruit a, a quality CEO. Their IP portfolio uh, tends to do better. And importantly, they're likely to reach the IPO stage. So it's, it's interesting that uh, when you hear advantages like that of having um, an investor uh, director uh, on, your, on your board. Um, uh, one other survey I'll point to, and I'm sorry I don't have the source for that either, but it says that 31% of early stage companies, early stage companies, and these are usually start up to what you consider early, 31% of outside directors, but only one third of those are investor directors. So about 10%, right, of early stage companies. But as you move you know, along the pendulum, uh, growth stage companies have more than 50% investor directors and late stage still startups, but late stage startups are two thirds or 75% um, are, are investor directors on those boards. So I thought that was uh, an interesting bit of statistics as well. So again, the answer to your question uh, about whether they should be on the board is, is a resounding yes. That's great, Barry. Those are some interesting statistics as well. This has been a really great series, and we appreciate your time and insights.